It's time for Agribiz. Agriculture, it's your business. Here are some of the top headlines you need to know. I'm Rusty Halverson, and at the ranch, we've got Sarah Heinrich. Good morning, Sarah. Top of the morning to you. It has been another busy week, but I think almost every week in our world is busy, Rusty. It is meeting season, and I'll tell you what, if there's a meeting, we're typically there. Yes, it is the season, and you were in the state capitol this past week, and grazing was on the menu. What'd you go, and what'd you learn, Sarah? This was held at the Radisson in Bismarck. And so the North Dakota Grazing Lands Coalition held a mentor workshop. And this was really North Dakota producers who are maybe a little bit more experienced in some different areas of practices, whether it be multi-species or rotational grazing or sharing some of those things about what worked and what maybe hasn't worked on their operations with producers who haven't implemented these practices. It was really interesting to visit with a number of different producers about some of the different ideas that they have had. And really, the North Dakota Grazing Lands Coalition, I mean, they have a a simple mission, and that is to improve grazing lands. And that was really the focus throughout the day. Okay, let's listen to some of that audio you gathered this past week. I had the opportunity to head west to Bismarck this week. On Wednesday, the North Dakota Grazing Lands Coalition hosted a mentor-guided workshop. This was really an opportunity for producers that have experience with managing grasslands, maybe rotational grazing, using multi-species, to connect with other producers who haven't implemented those practices on their operation. Jerry Doan serves as past chair of the North Dakota Grazing Lands Coalition and explains more about the workshop. We're excited with this workshop we've got going here today brings the mentors. We've got a whole team of mentors, which are producers. We don't have every answer to everything, but we've got a lot of experience in holistic management and regenerative ag. And how do we make, how do we keep cattle on the land again? There's a lot of pressures to get cattle off the land, break everything up, get rid of our grasslands. And so we're here to help. The mentors are all, we've got breakout sessions in the, today and they're, uh, they're telling stories about their own operation and what works and what they have experience with. So we're excited. And along with that, we're also kind of the advocacy group for the grasslands in North mm-hmm. Dakota. You know, we don't, we're down to only 25% of the grasslands left in the state. And I'm all about, you know, it's great to have this uh, diversity in egg, but if we really believe in the good things that grassland do of of uh, carbon sequestration and providing a great nutritious product for us in our in our uh, human lifestyle mm-hmm. maybe we should pay attention to these and so that's what the grazing coalition is all about we're really active we're a fun group we have a lot of fun and yet work hard so one of those mentors was annie carlson who ranches near turtle lake in central north dakota the title of her presentation was managing multi-species mayhem we started with the Grazing Lands Coalition, God, it's been 12, 13 years now. Um, we wanted to raise animals in a different way. Um, I grew up on a very conventional farm with sheep and lambing jugs and a backgrounding feedlot. We just wanted to be involved in animal agriculture, but we wanted to do things a little differently. When we talk about you being a mentor here today, what was what's your message? What are you sharing with participants? It's exciting to see young enthusiasts that want to get involved in the livestock industry. 
Today we're talking about selection criteria that we use on our farm. We have a multitude of species. We're from poultry to pigs to sheep to cows all together. How are we making selections to help management? Um, one of the criticisms we hear from anybody adding a species to their operation is it takes too much time. And so when we're selecting for functionality, when we're selecting for our management systems, we can reduce the amount of time that we're spending on those animals that take time. What is the one message that you hope maybe a young producer walks away with today? Don't be afraid to get rid of those problem animals. We spend 80% of our time on 20% of those animals, either doctoring them, fixing fence that they've busted through, um, dealing with their uh, dink calves that aren't, aren't performing well. If we can call out those animals that are consuming that big part of our time, we have a functional herd, we have functional flock, and we have more time to do the things we'd like to do. Jay Reiser serves as the current chairman of the North Dakota Grazing Lands Coalition and really talks more about the mission of the group. Yes, we, uh, we have the goal of putting this together so that we can share our experiences. Uh, the livestock industry especially, but ag in general, we have a lot of things going on and um, the mentors here have, have their own little niches that, that they can say that they're very good at. And we want to bring that to other uh, ag producers throughout the state. Um, for various different reasons, um, all the way from increasing soil health so that you can increase the, the health of that uh, forage base um, for livestock production, all the way up to increasing the quality of life of those individuals that are on the land. Um, as, as livestock producers and egg producers, we are, we're a very hardworking group of people and sometimes it comes at the sacrifice of our, our quality of life, but we, we want there to be able to be that um, balance between those individuals. We understand how valuable the grasslands are as mm -hmm. an ecosystem and uh, the services that they bring. And so with that, we want to make sure that those that are working on the landscape also can enjoy what they're doing. Um, not to get to the end of the day and go, we made it through another day, but be able to start the day and say, well, we get to do another day. And really those practices vary from, you know, today we're addressing carbon. You guys talk about, you know, um, cover crops. We talk about, you know, rotational grazing. All of those different aspects are something that you really try to cover. Yes, we have uh, nine different uh, speakers today talking on nine different subjects. Like you said, varying everywhere from cover crops to rotational grazing to winter grazing strategies to multi-species grazing. And um, just how to, and maybe it's a situation where you aren't going to be able to directly respond to each individual that's speaking, but I would uh, find it very hard pressed that you can't pull a couple of points away mm -hmm. that can be taken back to individuals' home, home area and incorporated small scale, large scale, whatever they choose to do. What do you enjoy most about it? I mean, it has to be really rewarding and exciting when you see these young producers here just trying to learn from maybe a producer who's tried something new or um, has a little more expertise in a different area of an operation. I guess, what makes you excited to see a crowd like this wanting to learn more about, you know, maintaining these grasslands and taking care of them? So the, the excitement of, of doing this type of a, a group, it's you're able to see some hope in individuals eyes um, at times they might be showing up here because their backs against the wall uh, the other ones uh, you see individuals that are like hey let's let's try and do something different let's try and do something better um, 
some of them, it, it comes down to the legacy of their next generation. There's uh, young children running around mm -hmm. here as young as young as one and a half years old um, with their parents today, and the the parents are interested in trying to pass on something better to the next generation. Um, I personally can say that the coalition has helped me immensely on my own um, ranching operation. Uh, the individuals that I was able to talk to, to bounce ideas off of, um, to to go up to them and, and say, hey, this is not working. And it, it wasn't met with resistance of, mm -hmm. well, of course it's not working. You're not doing it right. It was met with, okay, talk me through what's going on. Let's see what we can come to a conclusion on. And just being able to have that network of individuals that uh, you can call friends, mentors, comrades, uh, whatever term you want to use, um, as we as we work through the process of trying to make things better as we go forward, trying to protect and enhance the grasslands that that are kind of a dwindling ecosystem in North Dakota. And it won't be long, and spring planting season will be here. Rusty Halverson took part in the Getting It Right in Sunflower production webinar that took place this week. He has all the details coming up. Welcome back to Agribiz. I'm Rusty Halverson. NDSU Extension hosting a Getting It Right Sunflower production webinar this week. Extension weed specialist Joe Eichley said kochia has been taking advantage of dry conditions the past few years to spread in more areas. Eichley says eight counties in North Dakota are dealing with Group 14 resistant kochia, and there have been detections in Saskatchewan as well. This is relatively new. Uh, basically, 2021 and 2022 is when this problem kind of first popped up on a pretty wide scale. Uh, so not, not every field in these counties have this resistance, but we certainly have a pretty widespread um, occurrences of finding resistant populations. For this next year, Eichley says the best management can come from identifying resistant populations. NDSU Extension crop economist and marketing specialist Dr. Frayne Olson gave a sunflower market outlook during the Getting It Right Sunflower production webinar. The sunflower market sometimes follows the price direction of canola futures in Canada. Olson pointed out a few factors that may affect that market this year, including weather. Another factor that may affect canola prices in Canada is the crush industry.
Olson fielded a question from the audience regarding 2024 contract prices for sunflower growers in the region. Some of the, the, especially the oilseed crushers, have kind of pulled their bids right now. I think they have the contracted acres that they need. There tends to be kind of a, a relationship or correlation between what's happening in the spot market and what's happening in, in the, the contract market. Now, the contract market is, is trying to kind of provide that balancing act between making sure that sunflower is competitive with the other crops. And so you're looking at the other crops and profitability and what the price levels are for for those relative to, again, the demand base they have built up. And so we tend to see, you know, that relationship this year my impression and in following what I what I've been able to detect, it's it sounds as though we need to hold the acres of sunflowers we had last year. I don't know that the industry is really looking for a big increase in acreage, but they definitely don't want necessarily a slippage or decrease in acreage either. Because we're now into 2023, so kind of working through some of those carryover stocks that we had in 2022. So we're we're really trying to rebalance acres. And as a result, the contracts were competitive, in my opinion. Um, but most of those, from what I can tell, have now been pulled for for a while. I haven't heard much on the um, specifically on the confection contracts. Um, you'd have to talk to some of the buyers on that one. That's Dr. Frayne Olson of NDSU Extension. As many Minnesota growers emerge from another season of drought. The University of Minnesota Extension Service has some recommendations for planting cover crops this season based on field moisture status and the forecast. State soil health specialist Dr. Anna Cates says growers should ask themselves a few questions if they're in a corn-soybean rotation. So think about it as as something that that you can prioritize in your system. And then also look, another question that came up in our pre uh webinar questions was a lot about economics. And so again, thinking about the whole system. Are you replacing tillage? Are you changing your labor patterns so that you have kind of less to do in the spring if you're not doing as a field cultivator pass or a spring tillage pass to prepare the field because of your cover crop? How does that change how patient you can be about planting? So think about the whole system, I guess is my point, and not just the um, the cost of the seed and the cost of the herbicide to terminate the cover crop. Those are parts of the system and, and you should look for cost share where you can to alleviate that cost, um, especially as you're starting out. But think about the the whole system in terms of economics, labor, tilth, hassle, all the all the elements that it's going to change on your farm. Another question is: Are you trying to establish surface mass or root mass with a cover crop? If you're looking at reducing erosion or weed control, then that surface mass is going to be really important. But if you're looking at soil organic matter and uh, changes to soil biology, then the root mass are going to, is going to be more important. Dan Smith, a nutrient and pest management outreach specialist at University of Wisconsin, says a good old-fashioned shovel test can help growers make a decision. If you're doing these systems, look at them year-round with a shovel out in the field. Go out and collect some of your own data on your own farm. Um, look at soil moisture. Um, if you have a soil thermometer, that's a very useful tool as well to look at some of these systems. Um, collect some data on your farm. I challenge you to go out and dig some roots this spring and, and summer. For a quick way to get started, Minnesota Cover Crop Recipes provide step-by-step guidance to some of the lowest risk starting points for cover crops. You can learn more online at extension.umn.edu 
slash soil and water slash cover crops. Peterson Farm Seed is hosting a Cup of Agronomy workshop on March 19th in Minto at the Minto Community Center at 10 a.m. with Kayla Voller. I talked with her about what she's going to talk about at that meeting at the International Crop Expo in Grand Forks. We have a publication, a second annual this year, just started it last year, where being a research-based company, we have compiled so much great information, and for so many years, we really kept it internal, not, you know, on purpose or anything, so it's like, we just need to get this information out to the to the growers and know, know that behind their seed comes a lot of research and a lot of work, and, and, you know, sometimes it comes down to the planting date or depth, and all of those years of our trials are, are in that guide. So we're basing the meeting around that, but we're also bringing local issues that have come up, iron chlorosis, or if it's the cyst nematode, and some other interesting GDU dates, things like that, that are uh, going to be involved in that meeting as well. So that will take place in Minto at the Community Center. Uh, that's March 19th at 10 a.m. We're going to have a nice catered lunch afterwards, so come hungry. That's the most important part, right? So yeah, come on down, and it's kind of just, yeah, uh, Fordville, anywhere from Cavalier, Fordville, uh, Hoople, Minto, down to our villa area. So come on over. If phone calls are any indication, Kayla says growers in her territory are still finalizing their acreage mix this spring. Yes, and honestly, uh, I've had a lot of corn calls lately. So that makes me kind of excited. I know um, markets are a little dumpy right now, but I think that has happened year after year around this time frame so I think we are prepping to see if there's earlier varieties available still and so I do think there are a lot of open acres out there. Again mark your calendar for a cup of agronomy with Peterson Farm Seed March 19th at the Minto Community Center 10 a.m. Other area meetings during the month of March can be found online at petersonfarmseed.com slash talk. Area 4th graders this week got a farm-to-fork experience learning about North Dakota's farming industry in the Hartle Building at the Red River Valley Fairgrounds in West Fargo. State 4-H Activities Coordinator Carla Mickle with NDSU Extension says about 1,900 youth attended this past week. The students stopped by several booths in a carousel rotation to learn about each farm topic. They get to learn a little bit more about agriculture in a small six-minute window, so very, very brief time. Um, And then the teachers actually get to go home with some packets of additional information that they can share in their classroom. So um, they um, get a little bit of uh, sparked interest in what we're talking about, and then they can further that conversation when they get back to their fourth-grade classrooms. That is State 4-H Activities Coordinator Carla Mickle. At the National Ethanol Conference in San Diego recently, Summit Carbon Solutions CEO Lee Blank provided an update on the company's carbon dioxide pipeline project. We're going to talk about that coming up next on Agribiz. Welcome back to Agribiz. I'm Rusty Halverson. At the National Ethanol Conference in San Diego recently, Summit Carbon Solutions CEO Lee Blank provided an update on the company's carbon dioxide pipeline project. Although regulatory disputes and opposition from environmental groups recently took down Summit's competition in Navigator CO2, 
Blank said his company's own ongoing battles have stiffened resolve to build the carbon pipeline across Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, and Nebraska. If people support the project, I think we're seeing this, but if you see the project and you support the project, it's no time to be meek and it's no time to be mild. Now is the time because we're right up against these permits. We're right up against legislation. And now is the time that if you want, if we want this project to be completed and we believe it's really good for the industry, and I do, I think we all do, now is the time. This won't, and again, without any arrogance at all, this, this will not happen again. No one will take this on to try and take these hurdles on again, spend a lot of money, hit these political uh, uh, you know, environments, the utility commissions that have made it very, very difficult. Now is the time. And so it's very important that, uh, that we're leaning across the fence and not being quiet about this project any longer. And I challenge farm groups when I chat with them all the time. I know it. I get it. I understand it. We have to talk to our, our neighbors about the project if you believe in it. Blank said it was a very loud minority of people expressing opposition to the project. The focus of the opposition, he said, keeps evolving as the company addresses concerns raised. There's a very loud minority that works around our project. And actually, the storyline changes. As, as, as we get closer to completion, they find something else that they need to talk about. In the sense, you know, it could, it could be landowner rights. It could be safety of the pipe. Just, just that you know, like, what we do to, 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 um, to abate that and to think about those things. In South Dakota, we were told that we have a safety, a safety messaging issue in South Dakota. I asked our team, our executive team, not, not our, our project managers who are working the state, I asked our executive team to hold safety meetings in South Dakota. We held 10 of them and invited 4,000 South Dakotans to those safety meetings. 150 showed up. Hmm. We don't have a safety issue. But that's, and so then the next it came on to an ownership discussion. We're owned by a foreign entity. It's just not simply not true. And so we, and now it's water. Now it's the, the environmental uh, uh, pushback would be we're going to use too much water at the ethanol facilities based on our, our particular equipment. It's a fraction. And so we're, we're working on that as well. So the opposition is the same opposition. Mm-hmm. It's a small percentage, and the story changes. And we just have to be ready to address that story on a day-to-day basis. Although all of the states are important to the project, Blank said its success hinges largely on permitting efforts in Iowa and the Dakotas. Not that we don't appreciate Minnesota and Nebraska, we appreciate them very much. But ultimately, if I can get those three mainline states permitted, we have a project. Um, There's enough volume in those three states that we can actually get the project completed and finished. So we focus heavily on those three states. Um, They have taken a great deal of work. In South Dakota, the state's Public Utilities Commission rejected Summit's permit application last fall. The PUC said back in September the proposed pipeline route had conflicts with county guidelines on setbacks and other issues. Blank said the company continues to work with officials in various counties and has acquired about 75% of the land needed in South Dakota. South Dakota is a little different story. And, and again, we're, we're denied in South Dakota. Um, now we're trying to find that appropriate route. Once we find the appropriate route, and we can set that route, because you can't, you can't apply without a route and without a route corridor. So we'll set that route. Once we get the route set, we'll reapply. South Dakota then has a year, by statute, 
to review our permit and give us a permit ruling. It doesn't have to take a year, but it can't take longer than a year. So we model, you know, uh, second quarter, early second quarter of 2025 for a South Dakota permit. But we ultimately believe there's a really good chance we could have a permit hearing and a ruling yet this year, and which will which will help the uh, the process and the and the timeline on the project. Blank said the company plans to begin construction in early 2025 with operations launching in early 2026. In terms of successfully completing the project, Blank said pressure is a privilege. The project itself is growing. Um, the industry's knowledge and the, uh, the significance uh, as we head into what seems to be a softening U.S. agricultural economy, I think the significance of the project is, is, is really high. And we, we need to get it accomplished. Um, we really do, as it, as it will uh, drive those markets and those abilities for the, the ethanol industry to go hit those markets that are there for them today. And I think that was missed for a long time. I think there was a lot of discussion around climate change. The project's all about climate change. I won't argue climate change. You can believe it, you can not believe it. But I will argue there are markets that are willing to pay a premium for a low CI product. And those markets are growing. And so the project becomes that much more important as we move through, uh, as we move through the process. So we're, we're taking it extremely seriously. It is a double-edged sword, though, to be fair. Being basically the last major project that's still uh, in, uh, in process... We get a lot of clarity through that. We also take a lot more bullets from the opposition because, frankly, we're, the, we're kind of the only ones that are left, in a sense. That's not necessarily true to a couple of our other right. competitors, but uh, it does, uh, it does uh, tend to you know, increase the weight on the load a bit. Blank admits there may have been some missteps at the project's beginning. To be fair, I think we deserved a little criticism early. Um, we, you know, we didn't handle things, I think, appropriately, which is, I think, the part of the reason that the original founders of the company decided to take a more agricultural role. Uh, the, the, the team was in place because there aren't many folks that you find possibly in, in the Dakotas or, or Nebraska that, that have built this kind of infrastructure before. You really have to go to different places around the country. And I'm not sure that we did everything appropriately early, um, but we have made 5,800 route changes to this pipe to accommodate the landowner. And those changes have been made because we do recognize now as a company what that landowner thinks about his, what he thinks about his acre, how he values his acre. And if we can make micro changes on the pipe to to accommodate a landowner, we're glad to do that. I'm not saying that was originally the intent when we first started the project, but I think it's part of the reason that our project is becoming a bit more accepted at the U.S. farm gate. Um, but it's also becoming more accepted U.S. farm bait because they're starting to see what the benefits of this project truly are for the ethanol industry and what that can mean for them going forward uh, for the, you know, the, the runway for a space that consumes 44% of the corn in the U.S. So we're doing things a bit differently, and I think we needed to, um, um, but it's not an apology tour. We're going to continue to do things in the right way and keep moving forward. If completed, the pipeline would connect to 51 ethanol plants and provide a lift to the ethanol industry's prospects of being a part of sustainable aviation fuel production. Then I liken our project to the Transcontinental Railroad all the time. And I think a lot of people don't make that connection. But ultimately, the Transcontinental Railroad was designed and built to open markets. And when the last spike was driven into that railroad in 1869, I believe, that, that opened markets for not just agriculture, but industry. 
you might not, it might not surprise you, but if you ask business development from all the five states that we're in and we're building our project in, those business development folks get calls every day from industry yes. saying, where's the pipe rob? This is infrastructure project. This is an infrastructure project for the future of the country. And it's really important that we get it done. That is Lee Blank. He is CEO of Summit Carbon Solutions. Speaking of renewable fuels, the boom in renewable diesel is driving U.S. production capacity far above the market for the fuel. That, according to ag economist Scott Irwin of the University of Illinois, renewable diesel is more expensive to produce than petroleum diesel, so sales effectively are limited to the renewable fuel standard mandate of 4 to 4.5 billion gallons a year, according to Irwin. However, U.S. capacity to produce biodiesel and renewable diesel already exceeds 5 billion gallons and is expected to climb above 7 billion gallons in the near term. I think the die is basically cast for 2024. Uh, It's going to be an ugly 2024 for uh, the renewable diesel and famed biodiesel industry. I don't see how there's any way out of that straitjacket. I do want to point out, though, that that doesn't mean that the consequences are equally dire for, say, soybean producers and the soybean oil uh, industry, the crushing industry. As long as the renewable diesel industry continues kind of going off this cliff, there's a floor on the demand essentially for soybean oil going into biofuels. And so that, that's good news for, for farmers in the crushing industry. The, the real losses from going off this rin cliff with oversupply is on the investors in renewable diesel plant capacity. So I just wanted to make that clarification. Irwin says he's not entirely a Debbie Downer on the biodiesel industry outlook. I do think there's an interesting potential bullish scenario as we look to the future for renewable diesel. Uh, One way that that could happen is an increase in RVOs. It's hard to see that happening here uh, before the end of 2025, because that would take literally uh, legislation through Congress. Hard to see that happening. But as we get past 2025, we have to acknowledge that that could happen. Uh, But that's a little ways into the future. There's another bullish factor that Irwin calls, oh, Canada. Canada has decided that it wants to get into the low carbon fuel policy game and starting last July, Canada started a nationwide low carbon fuel standard that I mean, literally, they just said, well, being those efficient Canadians, we're going to uh, uh, look around. We really like the way California operates its program. And we're just going to basically copy and paste it and run it in Canada. Now, that's obviously a, a um, oversimplification. There are ways that the implementation can be uh, different. But that's essentially what's going on. So Irwin says the long-range outlook bears watching for bullish potential. Irwin made his comments during a webinar hosted by the University of Illinois.
That's going to do it for this week's episode of Agribiz. And Sarah, as we look ahead to next weekend's episode, we're going to have some audio from the North Dakota Winter Show coming up this week. I am so excited. It is the 87th annual North Dakota Winter Show. So this is taking place March 6th through the 10th. And we plan to be there bringing the reports from the tractor pull, the truck pull, the horse pull. All of those different things make up the Winter Show. And it's just a super fun time that happens in Valley City. And we will be there bringing you all of the updates. Sarah, we're going to bring sound from the event and pictures from the event on our Facebook page. But when you're at the North Dakota Winter Show, there's a certain smell and aroma between the tractor pull and the diesel and the food. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Who doesn't know what you're talking about? If you have been there, when you walk into the winter show, there is just that overwhelming, like we are at an egg show smell. You're yep. right. Whether it's horses or the truck pull, the cattle shows, you know, I mean, that is all just a huge component of it. And there's just such rich history in that building. That is coming up next week. Sarah, thanks again. And uh, we'll be talking to you then. All right. Sounds great. Have a great week ahead. You bet. You've been listening to Agribiz on the Mighty 790 and 104.7 KFGO.